so um, as we've walked through the Exodus series, we've really been taking a look at, we're highlighting three themes each time as we jump into, and it's up on the screen again, and we're going to jump into these three things tonight as we take a look at Exodus 5 and 6. That being, it, it gives us a window into the character of God, number one. We've seen a lot of that already in the first four chapters. It's unbelievable, the character of God that we've seen in this. A couple things that really stick out to me is that he is a God that fights for justice and is fueled by compassion. He is ascending God. Like Chris talked about last week, he is a, a God that is so holy that hates sin and takes the healing of our soul seriously. Um, number two is that, um, what is number two up there? Yeah, exactly. It gives us a great picture of the gospel, it points us to the gospel. Um, and now what's number three? Oh, it's not up there? Oh, okay. Anyone remember? Yeah, God-shaped mission. So the, the scope of our mission should reflect that of God's. And so, again, we'll be taking a look at those three things tonight as we jump into Exodus 5 and 6. So turn with me to Exodus 5. You all ready? Let me pray. Lord, again, we just love your word, and we have a reverency for it. And so tonight, I pray again, once again, that it would speak to us and that we'd be able to worship you in light of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I actually want to take a look at uh, the previous chapter, verses 29 through the end, as we jump into verse 1 in chapter 5. It says here, Moses and Aaron, so the Lord provided Aaron to be a mouthpiece for Moses. We learned this in chapter 4. Brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, those signs being the God said, hey, you can use this, this cane in the sense that I'm giving you. Throw it on the ground and turn it into a snake. You grab it again, it'll turn back into that cane. Other one was, hey, take your cloak, open it up, stick your arm in it. Your arm will be leprous as snow. Pull it out, you know, put it back in. It's going to be normal. And so he had done these signs before them, and also he will later perform these before Pharaoh. And verse 31, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worship. Again, there was four main areas of oppression that was taking place with the Egyptians. Let's shout them out again real fast. What were the four? Economic oppression, spiritual, social, political. So we know that they're being horrifically oppressed. It's very de demonic. And so finally they feel maybe for the first time in their life that they have this opportunity. It's, it's, it's in their sight that they can worship God. Verse 1 in chapter 5. Afterward, so after all of this has taken place, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. I, I, I wonder what that journey was like. Think about what that journey was like. You think they talked about the Cavs game the night before? You, think, you know what I mean? They were catching up on Cubs baseball. I would have liked to be kind of a fly on their shoulder, observing what that journey to Pharaoh was like. And the roller coaster of emotions that they were feeling, and the attack of the enemy saying, you are not adequate, you are not capable, you should be afraid. I wonder what that journey was like. Those that are familiar with sports and performing arts, I'm sure there are a handful of pregames, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyways, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrew has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. 
I love the boldness we see here with Moses and Aaron in light of what it is that they are facing and potentially could happen to them. It actually reminded me when it says, we have met with God. It reminded me, you remember this here in Acts 4. Again, we talk, actually talked about Acts 4, day one of the Exodus series, where Peter and John are arrested. They're in jail because of them slaying, the, slaying people with the gospel, essentially healing people. They come before the Sanhedrin. It's, in a sense, they're on trial. And they address the trial. They address, they address the Sanhedrin. Peter does specifically. And I love what it says here in Acts 4.13. It says, when they, so the Sanhedrin, the most powerful um, religious leaders of the day, said when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they should be fearfully afraid, just going nuts, right? When they saw the courage of, of, of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, which reminds me of Moses, who says, hey, I'm not eloquent of tongue. When they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It is really hard for us to give what we do not have. And when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time with the living God, there's what I like to call a holy boldness that rises up within us, that allows us, empowers us to be more of the ambassadors of Christ that he desires us to be. When we void that of our lives, it is really challenging when we face these circumstances where fear is facing us for us to be as bold as we'd like to be. But Moses and Aaron had met with God. Peter and John had encountered Jesus. And I'm not saying that people will always recognize, whoa, those people must have been with Jesus. But I am telling you what it will do is empower you to be bold, to have a holy boldness that we desire. So are we meeting with Jesus? Are we meeting with the living God? Verse 4, but the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, what are you talking about? Why are you taking the people away from the labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. So before, it had been provided for them. So again, we see this economic oppression taking place, this slavery, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Do not reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to, their God, to our God. I love that Pharaoh is aware that the Israelites are crying out out loud, and he is aware that they want to go and worship the living God. I love that he is already aware of this. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and, make your own, go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt just to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required for you each day just as, you, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers that they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Let's jump down to 19. It's much of the same there in those four or five verses. The Israelites' overseers realized they were in trouble when they were, to when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting for, to meet them. So they were waiting to meet these people. Again, they were being oppressed, the Israelites. And they said, 
May, imagine hearing this if you're Moses and Aaron. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious. And I looked up this word because it was interesting that they used obnoxious. Actually, a better translation is you stink. Isn't that crazy? So you have made us like, translation that you made us feel and look like crap to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. How hard would this have been for you to hear if you were Moses and Aaron? After the encounter you just had with God, hearing this from the people that you're supposed to help set free. Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why? Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you have sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people and you have not rescued your people at all. I absolutely appreciate the authenticity and really, I think, the faith that Moses has to communicate these words to God. And I believe God honors this authenticity and this humility. You see, what's crazy here is Moses had already forgotten what God had done. It just just days removed where he had spoke to him in a burning bush, where he turned his arm leprous back to normal, where he turned that staff to a snake and then back again, where he provided Aaron when he said, I cannot speak. I need someone else to do it. The Lord had just done this days before, four miraculous things. He has forgotten what he has done, but he has also forgotten what he has said. Exodus 3, 19, 20. Remember this. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. This is God speaking to Moses. Will not let you go unless my mighty hand compels him. In a sense, what God was saying is Pharaoh will not easily let the people go. And why would Moses even think that? Egypt has been built on the backs of these slaves. Why in the world would Moses think that it's just him going up to Pharaoh who hardens his heart, like Chris talked about last week, and say, man, just let my people go. I think you'll be good. Too often in my life, I know I can speak to this, discouragement and hardship can cause me to be blind and or forgetful. Is that not true of us all? Imagine the amount of discouragement that Moses and Aaron was feeling at this point. What it is that they heard from the Israelite leaders. We feel like crap. Why would you do this to us? He's feeling the weight of it. He's feeling this discouragement that's coming from this hardship. And it's caused him to be blind and forgetful. Let's check this out, though. This is incredible what the Lord says here in Isaiah 43. 14 through 19. I think it's up on the screen. Before I read that, though, it's important to know the backdrop of what is taking place in Isaiah 43. Isaiah has been prophesying about what is going to take place to the Israelite nation. And he's, tell, he's prophesying that the Babylonians are going to attack you, oppress you, take you into captivity to where you are exiled for 70 years. And he says this. In Isaiah 39, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors 
have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Again, he's, he's prophesying this. It has not yet happened. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born of you, will be taken away. And when it says some of you, pretty much it's everyone but those that weren't good enough to go into slavery. So anyone that, in a sense, was worthwhile to the eyes of the Babylonians were taken away. And it says, and will become eunuchs, meaning you will not be able to procreate in the palace in the kingdom of Babylon. So this is the backdrop. This is what has been prophesied. The, the, the people have heard this. Isaiah goes on to say these words, which are beautiful, in Isaiah 43, 14 through 19. It says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians and the ships in which they took pride in. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. So he has stated all that he is and what he's going to do to the Babylonians. And this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. This is speaking to what's about to take place with the Israelites and Moses. So again, he who has made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. They're aware of this. They're aware of this story. This is their history. Who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like, like a wick. Forget the former things. And what he means by this is not what I just said. That's the latter. The former things being that the Babylonians are going to take you into captivity and exile you for 70 years. So forget that. Forget that. I want you to remember this, how I have been faithful. Remember this week two we talked about this? He who has promised is faithful. I want you to remember and reflect on my goodness and my faithfulness. So forget the former things. The captivity that you're in. And do not dwell on that past. See, I am doing a new thing. I've done it before and I'm going to do it now. Now it springs up. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. That picture would have been so clear to them. Because he had done this years before with the, with the Israelites in Egypt. And streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? This, I believe this passage teaches us that we can always justify trusting God right now. No, no matter how hard the circumstance you are in, you can always justify trusting God right now when you take a moment to reflect on the ways that he has been faithful. We can always justify it. Here in Exodus and Isaiah, again, there's a reminder, again, of he who has promised is faithful. Not that he's always going to do what you think or what you think he should do, but that he is in control and he is working. And he's working in providential ways, in ways that you are unaware of. See, the enemy, I believe, so often wants us to be a prisoner of the moment. When these trials, tribulations, discouragement comes our way. He wants us to be a prisoner of the moment. The enemy attacks in that way. And all he wants us to see and observe and experience is what's in those four walls of that cell. And the Lord is saying, hey, man, that gate, it's unlocked. I just need you to walk out of that cell and see all the ways that I have worked in your life and working. And I want you to know in the ways that I'm going to continue to work in your life. Too often we become prisoners of the moment. And we are stuck in this cell. 
And God's saying, go out of it. Forget those former things. Remember the past. Remember what I've done. He who is promised is faithful. That is what he is saying. In these verses 2 and verses 22 through the end in chapter 5, it also appears to me, I think it's quite evident, that Moses, that despite God's previous warning, again, that it's not going to be easy, something in Moses has hoped that it would rather come very easy. And man, if you're anything like me, I love easy. I love comfortable. I love things going according to plan. Life is way better that way. Amen to that. But here's what is true. When things are challenging and discouraging and seem like it's going to take an extreme deliverance, it allows us to see how powerful he is. The Israelites and Moses get to experience the wonders of God. Think about this. Again, let's go back to chapter 3, 19. Again, God says, the mighty hand of God is going to have to compel him. And he says this in verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all of the wonders that I will perform among them and that he will let you go. Because, like Chris explained last week, Pharaoh hardening his heart. And displacing this discouragement, hardship, persecution, oppression upon these people. Because of all of this that is taking place, the wonders of God become that much more greater in their life. We're about to see next week the ten plagues. Imagine observing that. The God of justice bringing oppression upon the country has brought oppression to you. And, and just imagine yourself being amazed at the wonders of God. And that is only heightened because of the experience that you're in right now. I don't want to go into too much detail because it's not my story to tell. But in the case with my daughter and Jalea and the situation when we took her in through foster care and, and what led to a, a adoption, I experienced a lot of, not the same thing, but a lot of the emotions and feelings and I think the hard times in a lot of ways. There was a ton of Along the way, a ton of sin, brokenness, hardship, frustration, restless days and weeks, feeling exhausted and confused. And as a result, facing extreme distraction that took me off my path of faithfulness and obedience. Because it constantly seemed like the enemy and sin was winning. However, I have an extreme appreciation for the miraculous wonders of God once it all unfolded. At times, I know I've said this up here before, I felt like I was on the front seat watching God display his wondrous works of his hands. I saw his glory on display. And I appreciated it that much more because all that took place up to that point, I had a great appreciation for it. And I continue to see and experience how God continues to work in this way. Even this past Tuesday, seeing God restore my daughter back to courage and bravery and strength. And I appreciate it, appreciate it that much more because everything that led up to that point. It's as if God is like, man, let me flex my muscles. Allow me to flex my muscles and show you how much more powerful and mighty that I am compared to the giant named discouragement and enslavement that you are facing. Man, I have a great appreciation 
for what God has done and continues to do in that situation because all that came before it. And man, has that led to this incredible time of worship for me. Was it hard? Heck yeah. Would I trade it? No way. Because I was able to see the mighty hand of God in ways that I would have missed out on if it were not there. If you have come out of enslavement in some way, if I were a bent man, I would say that you have experienced and encountered the mighty hand of God, his wondrous acts, the glory before you. And if you're in a season right now that is super hard and challenging, man, there's a big part of me that just wants to hug you and cry with you and tell you, man, I'm sorry, this sucks. But there's a big part of me that, that wants to tell you, man, I'm excited for what's in store for you. Because there is a sovereign God that is sitting up high that has a plan that is way bigger than ours, that he wants you to experience, that is so personal and intimate to you. And we will see this, how this is true in chapter 6. So let's go on. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my, and you meaning not specific, this is plural. So Moses, the elders, and the Israelites will see what I will do to Pharaoh because, again, going back to chapter 3, of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. Again, a land flowing with milk and honey, part of the Abrahamic covenant, where they resided as foreigners. So again, there's this reminder of this Abrahamic covenant that we talked about for the past three weeks. He's bringing that to the forefront again. Verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant, again reminding them that I am a God that fights for justice, which is fueled by compassion. Verse 6. In these next three, four verses, six through eight, we're going to see so much of theology unfolded in these I will statements, and we'll come back to them eventually. Verse 6. Therefore... Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from, the, from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Again, think of that. We talked about that, the, the, right, the, the arm of justice being Jesus Christ, right? And here we kind of see foreshadowing. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you, out, bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give to you as a possession. I am the Lord, the great I am. Verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Again, they are entrapped in the cell of discouragement. And it's not that they didn't believe. They just failed to listen. It doesn't say that they didn't believe. They failed to listen. This reminds me so often 
in the gospel accounts, when Christ is talking before a group of people, he says, for those who have ears, let them hear. Saying, I want you to actually truly listen. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. We're going to stop there. I want to rewind and go back to verses 6 through 8. Because here we see four gospel and salvation reminders. Again, Exodus points us to the gospel message. Here we see it in these three verses. These are amazing. Check this out. First one, number one of four in these three verses is liberation, a picture of salvation found in 6a, where it says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. Much like God has set us free from spiritual slavery. We see that in pretty much all of Paul's writings. He frees us from the, from, from the slavery of sin and death when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. You're freed from that enslavement of sin and death. That is no longer your destiny. So he frees us. There's liberation, one. Two. Second one is redemption. And this is in 6b where it says, And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This word redemption carries this idea of purchasing back. Man, we had to be bought back through the blood of Jesus Christ. We could not do it on our own. It, it, it took that much. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to what? To redeem those under the law. Again, buy back, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. But God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has also, you also an heir. This leads well into the next gospel reminder. Number three is adoption. You see this in verse 7. It says, I will take you as my people. Possession, I will be your God. Romans 9, 4 says, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Exodus 4, 22, God recognized them as his firstborn son. We see this picture of adoption. And because of adoption, there is this inheritance, which leads us to the last point, the last gospel reminder Found in verse 8, which is one of inheritance. It says, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and fade. This promise is incredible. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Four incredible pictures of the gospel. It lays it out. So often, Exodus points us to what is coming in Jesus Christ. And what we have today, praise the Lord for that. Here's what's incredible to me. Here's what I love that God does. In light of this extreme discouragement, God doesn't perform another miracle to prove to Moses and the Israelites that he is real, that he's going to do this. He points him to the gospel. That's what he does. Isn't that crazy? That's what he does. Out of anything and everything that God could have done, he says, here is what I'm doing. I'm liberating you. I'm redeeming you. I'm adopting you as sons and daughters. 
and I'm giving you this inheritance. You are an heir. You are an heir. You know what this reminds me of? It speaks so much to what Kimball talked about. 1 Corinthians 15. Check this out. I want to read verses 1 and 2 in 1 Corinthians 15, but I'm going to highlight 58. Verses 1 and 2 says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So it opens up with this, hey, man, I've told you the gospel. Then it goes into the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of our bodies, resurrection to eternal life. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58, these are the words. In light of all this, this is the backdrop. Here's what Paul's message is to the followers of Jesus Christ. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because the labor of the Lord is not in vain. In light of everything I've done, in light of the gospel, in light of salvation, it's not in vain. The work that you do for the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain. The labor that I've invited you into, again, this great act of love, is not in vain. So stand firm. Let nothing move you. Too often in my life, and I'm sure if you, would, if you were honest, too often in your life, you allow hardships and discouragements to distract you and to take you off the path of laboring for the Lord, to make it more easier or comfortable or whatever it may be. And what God is saying in Exodus, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself over fully to the work of the Lord because of the gospel. The labor of the Lord is not in vain. I took, I asked about 15, 20 people here in this church this question. And I just want to share, this is just a small sampling size of what people said here at Awakened Church, which I think is beautiful. I asked them, what does it look like right now in your life for you to fully give yourself to the work of the Lord? I want to rattle off this list. To be present and engaged in conversations I'm having with those in my circle and those with whom he has entrusted. To choose not, to not harbor bitterness and anxiety, but rather trust Jesus for humility, patience, and understanding. To lay down the desire for freedom and escape and pick up the cross for his sake. More than ever before in my life with Christ, I have, I have to make it a priority to remember who he is and what work he has invited me into by being in and listening to his word. It means changing a lot of poopy di diapers, dealing with a lot of whining, and spend time with people I would never naturally cross paths with. To rest in him as opposed to always doing. In his grace, I feel called to love the least of these. Faithfully stepping into the unknown, expecting and begging him to show up. A willingness to ask, always ask the question, what can I do today to have others know that they are cared for and loved? To be voted to prayer so that I can say to live as Christ. Trusting him for provision. Working out the little things in the corner of the room instead of making huge moves in the spotlight. Being devoted to proactively spend time with the Lord for the goal of delighting in him. Serving at my job, loving my wife and kids and those outside my home. To help a family get back on their feet and to faithfully serve my friend who needs to experience someone serving him. To join God in his selfless life-giving acts of redemption, restoration, and reconciliation, both in terms of physical and spiritual reality. Following Christ into places and situations outside of my comfort zone. It looks like giving up my schedule and agendas and being available for what the Lord puts in front of me. 
to follow his leading to even the least glamorous job, being willing to be interrupted and to let go of my plans and realize his plans are always better, to intentionally think and pray through who I need to be as I transition to new places, situations, and people, and then act and respond accordingly, and to be salt and light on my campus through the spoken gospel. This is a small sampling size. And if we were to go around the room to ask and ask this question, I think we would be amazed at the ways that the, that the Lord is inviting us to labor with him. And here's my, again, my final exhortation. Matt, you can come on up. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because the labor of the Lord is not in vain. You may be facing discouragement and hardship and tough times, and it's knocked you off the path. And here's what I love about the God that we serve. That is not too big for him, nor is his love for you contingent upon that. But again, he lovingly invites you back into that. And his reminder to you is this, the gospel. We see it in Exodus. We see it in 1 Corinthians. In light of the hardships, the persecution, the oppression, the tough times, the discouragement that you're facing, he's saying, man, be reminded of the gospel. Preach it to yourself. Know. Know that you are liberated. Know that you are redeemed. Know that you are adopted. Know that you are an heir. There is an inheritance waiting for you. And stand firm. Let nothing move you. Because the work that you're doing, man, it's not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the invitation that you give us. Lord, I thank you how we're able to see the mighty work of your hand in these tough times. And so, Lord, give us patience and perseverance. as we face these hardships, as we face discouragement. Lord, I pray that we could be people that are reminded of the gospel on a continual basis, knowing that the labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, empower us as a church to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.